We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today's a good day to go around the NBA a little bit. Boyan Bogdanovich was traded to the Detroit Pistons for Saban Lee and Kelly Olenek. Darius, he was not traded for two future first-round draft picks, because that would be stupid, right, to trade two first-round draft picks for Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, but what do you make of this stunning development? <laughs> I Oh, man. So lots of things, I guess. So let's look at this from the Lakers' perspective, because who cares about the Jazz? Bogdanovich was a player that I think we all liked as like a fit for the Lakers. And I think dating all the way back to before the time that Donovan Mitchell got traded, we had sort of identified him as a potential guy who, if the Lakers could find a way to get him and other players, it would be super useful. And Mike, I think he would have been a player that the Lakers should have considered trading one first round pick four like he is a caliber of player that that I think fits in so many ways and would have elevated them particularly on offense while also competing defensively at a level that I think is fine where things got trickier for me was the idea that it was going to take multiple first round picks in order to pry away Bogdanovich and or multiple players from the Jazz, which I thought was too high of a cost to pay for the Lakers in a deal specifically with the Jazz, which is why if you go back a few weeks ago, I had said that I thought a three team deal was the best deal that the Lakers could make if the Jazz were going to be in a deal at all, because I don't think the Jazz had enough for the Lakers to give up multiple first round picks. And I don't think the Jazz were going to give up anything to the Lakers specifically for anything less than two first round picks. And so that was the conundrum. And that's why a deal I don't think was made between the Jazz and the Lakers. If we go away from the Lakers aspect of this, I just think it's funny that, I mean, Bogdanovich was supposedly worth a first round pick around the league, first round pick, first round pick. First round pick. 
And instead, they got a guy who rhymes with first round pick, I guess, and Kelly Olynyk. But that's about it. Danny Ainge loves him some Kelly Olynyk. even drafted him ahead of Giannis. Oh, oh man. That was for wonderful producer Jeannie. That was a You're playing a the greatest hits now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, these are the greatest hits. So, Mike, I'll kick it to you here because I do think this takes an option off of the table for the Lakers. But in the big picture, I don't necessarily think it was even a realistic option for the Lakers to make a one to one trade with the Jazz. And as um, our friend Eric Pincus is always fond of saying, and I think Brian Windhorst might say this, too, is that a three team trade is a no team trade. Because they so rarely happen where everyone feels like they get enough. And so it seems like the Jazz are out of the mix now for a trade with the Lakers because now all they have is guards. Well, I mean, maybe that makes it more likely considering Rob Polinka's affinity for guards. But that's neither here nor there. Where are you at, Mike? Yeah, I just think that very few things have evolved as to what the type of deal that might have happened for the Lakers. And, and like, this is not one of them, you know, like what, what went out in this trade was not going to cut it uh, for what the circumstances had and not all teams negotiate the same with one another, right? Like they're not all picks are created equal. There's just, these things are always more complex than, well, hold on. If this guy went over to Detroit, like couldn't the Lakers have gotten them for that price? I mean, it, Olenek is a productive, good player, um, too, in some ways, who can who can space the floor um, for like an Anthony Davis type player. So he might have a certain value with uh, with the Lakers that he doesn't have somewhere else. And then defensively, can he stay on the floor? Well, no, you don't need him to if you have a Davis type. So that's that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down as to what that fit is like. I'm coming at this more from the perspective of I just got back from New Jersey. Uh, There were NBA League broadcast meetings were there. And they had a panel and they were talking about basically where the game is today. And one of the presenters was going through the Western Conference and he he was pulling up the Vegas odds. And he was trying to get to the fact that the West is deep this year, as it always is. And then, of course, they did the same thing in the East. And he's going down the list and he's he's reading the favorites. And it's like Golden State, the Clippers, Phoenix, Denver, and kind of going on and on. And you can look around the room and see certain team broadcasters and producers like, well, hold on. You're not going to say this team's name. And so then the Lakers get mentioned before New Orleans and Minnesota. And you see like somebody from Minnesota, like, well, hold on. So there are a lot of teams this year that are that think oh, Memphis, of course, earlier, a lot of teams this year that think that they've got a chance to win the West, you know, going or, or at least win a couple of playoff series. And to tie this back into this, like this trade news and the Lakers, like that's where things continue to be just in limbo as we wait to see uh, this takes some options off the table, I guess, Pete, right? That that had been speculated and talked about just like it happened a couple of weeks ago, like with a different trade. And then you have to keep getting Darius into the trade machine, right? As the season goes on and you see a team that falters early and you or, or you see a mm-hmm. team that has more success and maybe they're willing to give something up that leads to a secondary piece. Like it's just the chessboard, it continues to move and nothing yet has settled to the point where where we can figure out exactly what's going to happen with the Lakers roster. For sure. And that's an odd way to go into the season, right? Like this is uh, that said, it's good to have walkaway points. And I think that the ultimate goal of whatever trade we're going to make, especially when it comes to future firsts, is we want the end results of that to land in a place where we're a contender at the end of that. And I think that there's a certain amount 
where this team has to prove itself. And I don't mean that in terms of uh, winning a, a championship with this particular roster, but they need to show that they're good it, to facilitate, I think, trading both firsts away uh, it, to the point where it's like, yeah, whatever we add at the end of that D is something where, yeah, they're, they're a credible team that's within that conversation that Mike was talking about at the broadcasters meetings. But I think that they have to do that first. Otherwise, I think there's a, a strain of it where it's, I, I think there's a, a, a train of thought that is like, well, if we make a deal and trade two first and we end at the end of it and we're a second round exit that didn't really accomplish what we were going for. So I, I think that there at some that on some level, this team will have to show it first that they're at least good, that they're in that conversation before deals are made for role players in particular for future firsts. This is a super interesting point, and it's one that I hadn't given enough credence to, honestly, is that, Mike, when you are in the front office and you are trying to make a move and you need everyone on board if it's going to be a big enough move, right? And sometimes moves are so no-brainer, getting everyone on board is super easy. Like, I've been watching the Lakers Legacy show and um, I'm behind a few weeks. And so I just watched the episode where they were talking about trading Vlade and getting the pick from the Hornets and mm-hmm. then opening up the cap space for Shaq. And they sort of went into the mechanics for this, but they didn't get all of the way in. But the idea was that it was a gamble. Like no one knew if Kobe was going to be available at the 13th pick. No one mm-hmm. knew if, if Shaq was actually going to sign with the Lakers. But this trade needed to happen in advance. It needed to happen in advance of the trade, like in advance of the draft, basically, because you needed it in place. And it needed to happen well in advance of when the free agency period was going to start before Shaq was going to make make a move. And this was framed as it is a gamble. And it's the owner then who needs to be on board. And Jerry West sort of spoke to this when he said, Mike, that if you don't have a risk taking personality or taking risk isn't in your nature, you may not agree to trade Vlade Divac in order to start these machinations that may not actually result in you getting the thing that that you want. And so in getting back to Pete's point, I think I think it's it's not a leap to me to speculate that everyone in the front office or in the Lakers organization may not be on board with saying, let's just mortgage the future of all the assets that we have in order to make a trade where we don't even know how good this team is going to be yet. And so to Pete's point, it's just like, can this team actually do something? And we don't know. And so show me, and then maybe I will give you the extra ammunition that you might need in order to make a trade because the distance between last year's team and championship contender is Grand Canyon-esque. And this version of the team needs to show that it's actually not quite as big as the Grand Canyon. Maybe it's a little bit smaller than that. And a viable deal that gets us to the point where we feel comfortable to be a contender might be closer than that. A lot of it also depends upon whatever the power structure is. And if it's, if there are multiple people involved and then you have to kind of 
it creates a different bar to clear as opposed to somebody that is, that is just acting not unilaterally, but like in the sense of Danny Ainge, right? I don't think Ainge really had to run that one up the chain other than like, that's the whole point that's that the owner brought him in for. It's like, mm-hmm. you do this, you make these decisions, you know, better, you've already done it in Boston. Right. And, and so that's one circumstance where, uh, where that team has kind of the, the right to, and, and they're cleaning house. So they've got the, the right to operate like within it, within mm-hmm. a certain structure. I don't know the in terms of the like where the league is at, Pete, and not to not to stray off this subject, we can bounce right back to it. Like this news with Bogdanovich moving there. I'm trying to think if there would have been a team like if had he gone to a contender, right? Is he the kind of guy that would have made a difference if acquired by take any team up at the top of the list like Phoenix, for example, right, which maybe could have used one more player um, in that front court. Now, like that, I could be persuaded to say, but I don't think it's a title winning or, or uh, like type move uh, but he is he is a good player it's just also that when they got into playoff series was there a Bogdanovich game you know like there were he, he has certain weaknesses the teams were able to exploit that made Utah not very athletic on the wing and they didn't have another guy Royce O'Neal wasn't really able to compensate for that and he had his own weaknesses so it's not he's not the type of player to me that makes a massive difference in order to give up a ton of that like no I shouldn't even say a ton um, a an asset that could be used to acquire the kind of guy that we don't have to debate if that guy is going to make a difference in a potential title push. So that's part of it that I that I try to zero in on as well. Um, and and when you see like that there weren't picks involved or at least that that have been reported so far, you know that part is interesting and, and probably reveals something as well. Yeah, Bogdanovich is a good role player, and all, all of the words in that phrase matter. He's and especially you know on a team that doesn't have a ton of shooting, he would be. Quite helpful. He's a really good shooter. He's a guy that can shoot off of a bunch of different types of catches, a bunch of different types of footwork, and on a team with a bunch of shot creators is the other end of that, the type of shooter that can finish a play. So I don't want to act as though Bogdanovich isn't any good, and he has been good in the playoffs. He's very good for Indiana. I know he's 33 now, uh, but he's had good playoff runs. He's just not the guy. Like you said, Mike, he's not one of those guys that you don't debate. He's a put-you-over-the-top type of guy, and I guess the question is is the is the gap between the team that we are now certainly not last year but the team that we are now is it a Bogdanovich sized gap right or is it a a good role player sized gap probably not and if they are like I said earlier and and you were speaking to they got to show it they got to prove that and so that said though the Lakers have made a conscious decision going into this season to not make a move and all most of the most of the deals the potential deals have kind of fallen by the wayside now and so there were comments earlier i, I palinka spoke to the idea that we were going to tr- trade for shooting in the offseason and in over the offseason that's where that attribute was going to come guess what we traded for pat beverly and that's the only trade that we made and he's not a shooter he's okay but that's not what he does and so there it it's i understand the position that we've taken. And I think that idea of it being a collaborative approach where it's not just Rob Palenka making unilateral decisions in terms of the future. There are a lot of reasons to not be like, hey, we're going to go all in and trade what we have to just get a slightly better team. That said, though, it uh, it leaves us in an interesting position. It it does. It does. I want to pivot really quickly because trades are a two way street. And it's just like, it's so easy. Mike, you made a joke earlier about sending Darius to the trade machine. I am a trade machine maestro. I can make the money work. 
and I can get the Lakers good players and I can even make a good deal where I think the other team gets something back that is reasonable <laughs> for them within the context of what I believe their thought process could be. Lots of ifs, lots of mights, lots of shoulda, woulda, coulda this air. You're smiling at me, Mike. Phil. Well, I, I would just say you're you're a good shooter on the trade machine, but you also are a high volume shooter. Hey, so look, yes. some look. of those shots are going to go in once in a while. Look, I get those shots up. I remember um, there's a good follow on a Twitter. I think his handle is uh, Basketball. He's a fun dude. I've known him for a long time, a long, long time, because he used to contribute and comment at Forum Blue and Gold. In one of Kobe's last seasons, and you'll see this Photoshop every once in a while, but he's the one who created this Photoshop where it's Kobe shooting a jumper, but he's from the he's he's standing on the moon and he's shooting it towards the earth. <laughs> he's the uh-huh. one who created that Photoshop. So if you ever see that anywhere, that was in one of Kobe's That's last seasons. Basketball. And, all right. Yes. And it was a totally fun Photoshop. And we all got a good laugh out of that at the time. So, yes. I will get my shots up, and sometimes they are from the moon a little bit. But when you're talking about trades, the other team has to agree, right? And Mike, you alluded to this earlier with, hey, like, hey, like sometimes what a team wants from you may be different than what they want from another team. And I'm just wondering, we're all sort of biased observers here. To either of you, does it seem like the asks for the Lakers seem different than the asks that might be made of other teams, particularly in the deals that don't get consummated between the Lakers and other teams. And you see the reports about what a team might want from the Lakers versus what they actually end up getting from Mm -hmm. a different team. Let's go to break here because this may require some longer discussions and and so i'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that idea coming out of the other side we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So 
Darius, are you essentially asking if there's a Lakers tax? Yes. Yes. That's what I'm asking, Mike. Is there a Lakers tax? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, I don't think it's clear enough to be able to say that, but I do think that if it's the Lakers or essentially a, either a heritage franchise or a team that has won a lot or that is that's just kind of discussed more than some other teams, we're talking, of course, like Yankees, Cowboys type. Is there is there any additional impediment to getting players in? I don't know, man. I would also have to separate the NBA because trades just it's the amount of like it only takes one player in a trade in the NBA to, to really make a massive difference. And an NFL player could, but only if it's the a top like 10 quarterback and those guys don't really move, you know, and they've got ways to keep those guys with the franchise tag. So. I'm filibustering a little bit because I think that when (laughs) the reason why you ask it, right. Oh, okay. Well, this is what Utah reportedly was looking for. If it were going to be a trade with the Lakers, but then he goes somewhere else for, for less. And that's what I was trying to get at earlier where I I don't think it's quite that simple, right? Especially when other, many other players might be involved um, and, and a salary going back might be considerably, considerably higher. And that's where the difference comes in stuff like that. So I don't know if it's a specific thing, Darius, that 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 is to me more about um, if if a team if a team's going to turn down a better offer from the Lakers. Or or even in like an even offer I get, then maybe you 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 kind of sift through and you make your pick one way or the other. But if you're going to turn down a better offer from a team, whether it's an additional pick or additional player um, just out of spite, then you're dumb, you know, and that's just on you for any team. And so I don't think it. there's probably a little it's probably like a little bit of a tax that the Lakers have to pay for for the franchise and success and people thinking that players want to go there regardless. But it can't be that much because then it's just you're not doing your job that well. Um, I think if, if you're another executive and you're not taking the best deal um, out of spite, essentially, I, I think it's a little more prevalent than that. Um, I mean, the guy we were talking about negotiating with here is Danny Ainge. I slander him on this podcast whenever I can. That's a historical rival of the Lakers. You don't think Danny Ainge has some feelings about the Lakers? And just like like Darius always says, every business is a people business. And that extends both from Rob Palenka's relationships to other front offices, but also the Lakers as a franchise, right? We've like, I, I always like to say, this is a, a team that ruined a lot of childhoods and nobody is agnostic to the Lakers. And that includes internally within the league. We're one of the great bad guys. One of the things uh, we were musing about recently is the idea of the Lakers having a surprise good season with a lot of the NBA villains on the roster. Like we have potential, Mike, for being one of the more hated teams of all time if this goes well for us. Right. And we got to lean into that. But I do think that that has an effect on like on on trade negotiations, on getting things done with other teams, because there's there's history there and on a lot of these things, they're so incremental where it's like, do I want to give the other party the benefit of the doubt? I think that has a lot to do with it, D, is that, of course, Mike's point is correct, that if you're not doing a trade with the Lakers that is clearly better for your team, and you're doing a disservice to your team. But if it's close or if you have other considerations, right, there's all sorts of reasons for to, for there to be two or three different credible options on the table. And if you have feelings about the Lakers or the parties involved, then you're just going to be a lot less likely to choose that one. And I, I think a lot of times we underestimate the egos of the people involved, of, of key decision makers. And like 
Sometimes they do dumb things. Like not everything that they do is rational or based on, you know, something that's going to be better for their team. There are just all sorts of some factors on top of the things that Mike mentioned that are also personal that come into play that are just I think that we get less of the benefit of the doubt for a myriad of reasons than a lot of teams do. I'm also interested in the idea of the Lakers negotiating position and how that impacts the position the other teams take within trade discussions. There have been several deals where I felt like the Lakers, including this one with Russ, I think these negotiations around a potential Russ trade, to me, in their own way, mirror discussions that were probably had around the idea of when the Lakers actually executed a trade for Anthony Davis. The Lakers are, I think, fairly consistently framed as needing to do something or really severely wanting to do something. And then that is used as a leverage point for discussions. And so to me, it would also make sense that a team might take a harder stance with the Lakers. Like, no, give me give me this or there's no deal for you. Whereas with another team, they might be like, Mike, hey, well, you know, yeah, we'll take this because those discussions seem more free flowing and more give and take. But with the Lakers, it can come off as I just want to take. You know, I'll I'll push back on the on the Lakers tax idea a little bit and just think about the Anthony Davis trade and think about the last several other big trades. And it's market rate, right? Like what Rudy Gobert just went for more than what Anthony Davis went. Well, I shouldn't say more because of course they had to no. give up, you know, Ingram and Lonzo and like the young talent on top of that, but they gave up two more additional first round picks uh, to that and some players that were that were still of some value. The Paul George trade, uh, what Donovan Mitchell just went for, like these, was there a tax that the Pelicans made the Lakers pay? And, and I mean, could the Lakers have maybe kept one more pick? I don't know. To just get the deal done, sometimes you have to throw in something mm-hmm. else over the top. And so does every other team. Clearly, that's what Minnesota just had to do. They had to throw in two or three extra things that they really shouldn't have or didn't need to in terms of what we would think about the history of an equitable trade would be. So I, I think that since there are so many people now that cover the league well and that know the, the that know sort of the history of other trades in contrast to like what the Lakers got Pau Gasol for and how outraged everybody was, it seems like all Ridiculous. of the work is shown now immediately on Twitter. And so I think that GMs are are savvy enough on on both sides to to account for that in a trade. And, and maybe that's just another way to push back, Pete, but. We, I think we're, we're not recognizing in terms of the current roster, like what $47 million is um, for sure on, a, on a, a team taking on that much money and not not being sure, you know, what the production on the court is going to be with that. And I think that's the big thing in this, not not necessarily like a Lakers tax. Yeah, no, that's certainly fair, right? That the idea that taking on Westbrook could be a that said, there are also a couple of teams that are looking to get to the you know, the, the base salary, the minimum salary as a team, but that's a point well made. That said, I think that there's 
been a perception that Darius was speaking to about the Lakers need to trade Russell Westbrook, that I think that there's a perception that there's an added value for simply trading him to the Lakers. And if the case, if, if, whereas the actual value are the players that come back. If you trade Russell Westbrook, whoever comes back is the value to the Lakers. If just like we don't want Russell Westbrook to be on the team or be around, then you just send him home, right? That's something that you don't have to trade a first round pick to not have Russell Westbrook. Around And so I think that to your point, D, that that's something that has been used as a basis of perception that's probably from the Lakers standpoint, not necessarily true in terms of, hey, we have to trade future assets. That said, Mike's point about trading for a $47 million contract that you're probably not intending to play, that has a ton of validity, too, in that what the team would want that's receiving Russ, what they would want in return. And and, uh, Darius, I'll concede that point, too, that I'll concede that. When it seems like a team wants to do a move or wants to move on, that's just basic negotiating. Like when, right? Like you're, sure. if, oh, I know you want to do this. Well, it's going to cost you a little more then, as opposed to like, hey, you need, a, I noticed that your running back got injured this week. I happen to have an extra <laughs> running back. I need a wide receiver. You know, like, hey, let's do this because it's in it for both. I don't have to do mm-hmm. this. I got, you know, I have enough players, but it would, this is a clearly a symbiotic thing and it's not me coming to you where it's an equal value. If I can throw one more element into the mix as well, from going into the potential trades or guys available by the deadline. Now, moving 47 million in the middle of the season is is tough. But even outside of that, we're going to have more kind of mid-level contracts as well. Um, there are the list of players is significantly better, I think. And I think that's part of the value play and the, the rationalization that the Lakers are making is that there are better players available. We'll see, but the potentially available between now and the deadline than there are, at least at this point of free agency. Yeah, and we are a week away from training camp, right? I thought a yeah. deal would happen in August, basically. Right. And then now it is about to be it's about to be October, guys. Right. Crazy. Like media day is in less than than a week. And there is it's just looking less and less likely that any team is going to want to disrupt their group in a way that it would take when you're absorbing or sending out that much money. There is no one-for-one deal that's out there. And we're too far into it now to say like, oh, okay, well, yeah, let's just make a trade, right? Utah's was probably the last best chance to actually extract value from a team. And... This is why there's not a deal is that the Lakers sense of what is value coming in and going out and how those things are valued is going to be different than clearly what Danny Ainge thought value coming in and going out was going going to be. And that gap, right, is the one that has yet to be bridged between the Lakers and clearly is yet to be bridged between the Lakers and and another team in terms of negotiations. I just think it's very interesting. And I do want to get back and just reiterate the point that you made earlier, Pete, that it is a people business. You do need to have good relationships around the league. I do not know enough about Rob Palinka and his relationships around the league, even though he's been doing this job for a while, to know if these do or do not or if it has or has not impacted his ability to make a trade, considering the amount of talk that was out there earlier during the offseason, and even from him 
himself about like, we're not done. But well, it's just like, yeah, you weren't done. You made one trade, but that's all that's happened. So mm-hmm. I do wonder about that because I do go back to the idea of just like, man, when Kevin Garnett got traded, it got traded between two old Celtic teammates. And <laughs> Danny Ainge trading with Kevin McHale. Yeah. Those and it's just like When I say that every business is a people business, that's sort of what I mean is is that the friendships that you accumulate around the league, the NBA is a fraternity. And I think it's funny because like you would have thought that a player like LeBron James hated Patrick Beverly based off of all the times that they've gone head head to head and and all of that. But then I remember last season, Mike, there was all that footage of them talking pre-game and LeBron is doing the thing that he usually only does with people that he likes where he's covering his mouth and he's talking to them and he sort of and they're laughing it up at his pre-game and you're just like, wait. Is that LeBron chopping it up with Pat Bev? And they just seem to be having a good old time. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't know about what relationships actually exist out there within the league at, from an outsider's perspective. And, and so that's one of the things I'm always interested in. It's always a variable that we need need to consider. And I would actually look at the places where Rob has made successful deals in the past. Mm-hmm. And I would look at those as potential like, okay, there, there clearly are not impediments in these specific places, but I would like a larger sample size where more things are happening. And I do get a sense that's just like, okay, there isn't friction, but I, like I said, I don't know enough. And so I'm not making accusations. It's just one of those things that does pop in my head when I see a deal like what happened today where it's just like oh look at this kelly olenic i have kind of shifted in and this has been for a couple months now really but especially i guess this just gives you further further ammunition into a bit more towards the pete mode of this is the roster to start the season yes sir what are you gonna do with it what are we and it's fun i'm sure that i'm not saying that our text thread won't continue to have rampant speculation on various things that could happen but i'm (laughs) i'm really trying to get into what the start of training camp is going to is going to lead to because i mean it's the 22nd today you know media day is monday and then we're about to go to vegas in two weeks and then even before that is the first preseason game so you know i'm more interested in the backcourt and who starts and how that goes over that's that's kind of where my my attention and my antenna have shifted and is that an error do you guys still think that that there should be some thoughts in the towards the this larger trade situation right now i i think this was the end of it i think i think the utah with, with bogdanovich i thought that was the last one that might happen no and look if if all of these people ponied up the cash all of the listeners and they had access to the text thread they'd see Stop. all no i'm saying <laughs> but they would see they would Not for see, sale they would see all of our back and forth around like lineup distribution and minutes and potential rotation stuff i was sending y'all like hey like does it sound crazy to do this or mm-hmm. what does it look like with that and i think this dude might be more impactful than this other dude and how would this look and is this guy going to play as much as we think he might play based off of pre right all of that stuff and so mike i'm i'm where you are it's just like and yeah. where pete's been is this idea of look man like we follow the game i love the game so it's mm-hmm. when when the team is set 
and this looks like it's going to be the team like I'm on some this is the team that's going to go play until it's not and I think I've I've even been saying that for like a month now like until a move actually happens this is the group and it's why a couple of pods ago I was just like these are where my concerns are based off of this group because Mm -hmm. this is the group and uh, until it's not and I'll be very interested to see what Darvin Ham says about lineup decisions and comp and camp competitions and who he envisions playing what position and particularly who can defend whom, because that's going to dictate what rotations look like. And I'm hoping for open competition at shooting guard and point guard and who's going to start at center and who's going to come off the bench and and how much of the like preconceived notion of who I am as a player is going to matter in those discussions, because there's a lot to work out with this group. This is a group that is not the ultra talented where Rob is standing in front of them before the season starts. Like this might be the most talent assembled on a single roster. Like I just saw that clip again on a Twitter the other day where he's looking at Carmelo Anthony and Dwight Howard and all these future hall of famers. These are guys, Mike, who have been tossed away by their previous teams. And you were a lottery pick who is now on his second team or third team, or you were a middle of the first round guy, or you're an undrafted guy. And how can you make it work with this group? And that is the beauty of the game. And it's what I'm looking forward to with any Lakers group whenever the season starts. And we're less than a week away now before these guys are actually going to be running around all together as a group trying to make that happen. And today's news with the jazz trade going in in a different direction that does sort of cement it. But I think in all of our minds, we've been more on that path earlier and just sort of just like, well, this looks like it is what it is. And it is until it isn't right. Uh, Just as I, as I very much have that mentality of you got to try to make it work with the squad that we have. I also don't think that the team that ends the season is going to be the same team that starts it. And so those spaces in between Mike, right? Yeah. And so uh, we'll be here to talk all about that. Perhaps some, uh, tumult in boston tomorrow and uh we'll finally get to that uh the second batch of mailbag questions but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time james has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tip to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires again and the lakers win the game the lakers win the game three seconds left A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Brian. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. 
That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.